Al Jazeera podcast. People in Arab nations are watching in horror as Israel bombs Gaza from north to south, killing thousands of Palestinians, including many children. What political impact will Israel's onslaught have on leaders in the region? Could there be lasting implications? I'm James Bays, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our panel of guests to discuss all of this further. We have Hafsa Halawa, who's an independent political consultant who specializes in the Middle East and North Africa. She's joining us from Dubai. We also have Tamara Ben-Halim, a trustee and co-founder of the Palestinian rights organization, McCann. She joins us from Madrid. And Rami Khoury is Distinguished Public Policy Fellow at the American University of Beirut. He joins us today from Boston. A warm welcome to all of you. Well, we're seeing protests all around uh, the, the Arab region, Jordan, Egypt, Tunisia, Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, Qatar today, the West Bank. Um, can I first maybe ask you, uh, Tamara, about this? Um, I'm going to ask you about Arab opinion, but we can't really generalise Arab opinion, can we? We're talking about 450 million people. There are 22 countries in the Arab League, but it's pretty set, fair to say the mood is very angry. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so. You know, I think um, I want to I want to be careful about how uh, Arabs are always ca- characterized as as angry Arabs, uh, um, and I'm sure that's not what you meant by by Western media. But you know, we have a right to be angry. We're frustrated. We're devastated. We're in despair. We are broken. Hafsa, do we have to distinguish though between the countries where protests are spontaneous? and the other countries where you can't have any protests at all, and countries where protests tend to be organised. There's been a a, a day of rage in Egypt, but it was partly organised by the government of Egypt. Thanks, James. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, Yes and no. I think that to a large extent, we can generalise to say that the region, its people, and I would argue its leaders as well across the Arab states, have firmly decided to publicly uh, call and uh, you know call out the international community and Israel and say there is a line there is a line this level of violence this level of um of of anger is indicative of how, you know, this is not happening in a vacuum. It's also happening on the back of not just the Arab Spring, but decades of failed policy to address the Palestinian cause and the issue related to two states or the self-determination of the Palestinian people. Certainly states that have uh, large and high levels of repression and authoritarianism are seeking to try and contain these protests. We had a list of protests in Egypt, for example, that would be sanctioned, but we've already seen today protests have converged upon Medina Tahrir, Tahrir Square, the old centre of the of the Arab Spring voice, shall we say, uh, certainly for Egyptians and other parts of the country as these marches have decided to converge upon very symbolic sites for themselves. So there is a level of attempting to contain this. But across the board, I think you're seeing a backlash not just against national policies in dealing with Israel and engaging with this conflict, but also writ large, a wider message to the West that the Arab states are unified. There is a red line. Rami, um, you and I have discussed these sort of issues before. 
and there have been four previous Gaza wars. I think we've been discussing during those wars before, and I remember 2006 discussing with you the situation, the war um, on Lebanon. Um, how, when you look at the context, how different, though, is this war? It's different in two senses. Uh, one, that the nature of the Hamas attack, whatever one thinks of the ethics of it, if it's uh, something you should or shouldn't do, it was a spectacular political statement. Uh, and the statement to people all over the region is that the Palestinians are not helpless and they will not lie down and roll over and acquiesce in their own uh, disappearance from history. Uh, and it's also important uh, at the level of the uh, sense that the Palestine issue is now a global issue near the front burner again. It's fascinating uh, to see how people all over the world, <laughs> including the U.S. Senate and others, are focused on Palestine. Much of the Western focus is against the Palestinians and for the Israelis, and the rest of the world is mostly for the Palestinians or equal rights between Israelis and Palestinians. But the key point I want to make here is that we know today, which we didn't know 20 and 30 and 40 years ago when similar things happened, we know today what the majority of Arab people think from polling and, and social media and other things. So the, the reality is that the vast majority of Arabs uh, do not want to have normal relations with Israel and reject the Israeli policies until there is a Palestinian state and then we're prepared to live in peace with them. So the, the sentiment is critical of Israel widely and when this kind of thing happens, and much of the West supports Israel blindly, you get this spontaneous eruption, uh, which is routine and normal, but very sincere. But Tamara, most of these Arab leaders were prepared to go along with the US strategy, were they not, in the region? And the US strategy was ignore the Palestinians, go round the Palestinians, do peace deals uh, with, with, with individual Arab countries and try and ignore the Palestinian problem, leave the Palestinian, Palestinians in a box. Well, that may have been the case, but that's not the case anymore. And I think that that's been demonstrated by the hundreds of thousands of protesters uh, from Baghdad to Sana'a to um, uh, to Rabat to to all all corners of the Arab world and uh, Arabs, of course, in the diaspora or uh, everywhere across the globe. And I think you know we can see that uh, although there's always been a huge disparity between uh, governments, between leaders uh, and their policies towards uh, Palestine and Israel and uh, the actual sentiment uh, on the Arab street towards Palestine. I think, uh, uh, as Rami said, the vast majority of Arabs have always stood with Palestine. It is an unquestionable thing. It is in our hearts, it is in our minds and in our souls from when we are born. Uh, it is an automatic thing. It is not something that just is, is some kind of intellectual, theoretical thing. Um, and I think that what we've seen most recently with Jordan cancelling uh, the summit with Biden a few days ago is that the, the sheer amount of pressure uh, from the streets has seems to have certainly played a role in uh, pushing uh, leadership in places like Jordan and elsewhere uh, to think very carefully about uh, how they are going to approach this issue and to think very carefully uh, and, and to remind people, to remind uh, our leaders that uh, we are not willing to sacrifice 
Palestinians on the ground and Palestinians in Gaza. Hafsa, can I ask you a question not as a political, political analyst, but as someone who is speaking to a lot of people uh, in Arab countries? I mean, what is the emotional response you're getting from people uh, to a situation where the, 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 the fatalities in Gaza are now... Um, mm -hmm so many more than 2014. It's well over that. It's approaching 4,000 now. Uh, the, the official OCHA latest report says that the killing is 60% higher than in 2014. What are people telling you about that? So I think the best way to describe it is a fluctuation between visceral anger and almost, uh, you know, a, a paralysis of fear. Uh, the anger stemming from the consecutive messages and statements that we're getting from officials in the West. So, it, you know, with, without disrespect, um, or with respect, I should say, every time somebody from the US government or the British government or the EU speaks, uh, social media, private conversations, uh, broadly speaking across the region, including in the Gulf states, which I think have been less uh, engaged on this issue in, in the sort of more historical sense, uh, the anger is visceral. Really, really just, you know, it's a culmination, I think, of a lot of anti-American sentiment that has been very prevalent since 9-11, certainly prevalent since the war in Iraq and has culminated in the various Gaza wars that we've seen as well since 2006. Um, and on the other side, a, a massive pendulum swing to a paralysis of fear, fear for what comes next, whether you're in Lebanon, whether you're in the Gulf states and the question of Iran looming, the question of three-pronged conflict, uh, different stages of how this ground invasion will um will uh, will develop and then of course the very real and i think for the first time really internalized fear in the neighboring countries particularly egypt and jordan that the israeli policy is to occupy and annex the gaza strip and possibly parts of the west bank as this prolonged if it is such a long war as the Israeli officials are calling for and real panic because, you know, a lot of the security architecture in this region is really built upon the United States as the backer of certain, uh, you know, benchmarks of security, be it the Jordan Peace Treaty, Camp David and others, that there were red lines. And I think now there's panic from the leadership to the very street that these red lines may be completely imploding. And what can we do? What tools are there for us? And really, the only tool that, that Arabs, uh, you know, that the people in the region know how to utilize is their voice. And, you know, beyond just being contained and sanctioned by regimes, I think we're seeing a coalescing of regime of regional policy and the voices from the street on this issue, both in terms of the anger at the West, but also in terms of the fear of this escalating into a broader regional conflict. Let's examine some of the countries which are closest to this, Rami. Can I start with Jordan, which has a peace deal uh, with Israel in 1994? I want to go back even further back than that, because some of the scenes I've seen this week remind me of August uh, and September 1990, um, shortly after Saddam uh, Hussein invaded um, uh, Kuwait. Uh, I remember the protests then, huge protests. I think the Jordanian monarchy were worried at the time. King Hussein, King Abdullah's father, was in power. And in the end, he decided not to join the international coalition. It completely changed, I think, Jordan's policy, or was it a factor in changing Jordan's policy? Uh, do you think this is going to change the way the Jordanian king thinks about things? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen uh, this time, no. And back then I was in Jordan and I 
uh, heard and saw the missiles from Iraq going, uh, the rockets going over our heads <clears throat> into Palestine and Israel. Um, uh, this time it's, it's very different, I think. You know, we're dealing with pacified, um, almost dehumanized Arab citizenries. They have no political rights. They have few economic aspirations that they can achieve. There's no mechanisms of accountability or serious political participation. Um, and, and they tried everything. And if you go back over the last 10 years, they've had, we've had this amazing regional uprising across almost every country, not quite, but almost every Arab country, not just to protest against the government, but, but try to throw out the government and get something better. And none of them uh, really worked. Tunis worked. Tunisia worked for a while, and now it's joined the fold. And so we've got a rising tide of uh, of photography. So no, I don't think the public protests are going to impact the Arab leaders much. They'll do what they've always done, make small little uh, symbolic gestures. By the way, I thought canceling the meeting with Biden was a huge mistake. Uh, Biden is the guy you want to sit with and explain to him why American policy is so dangerous, both for the region and for Arab countries and for the world. Um, and um, they should not have canceled it. They should have met with them and, and told them what's going on. But let me just add one critical point that I think helped us understand the sentiment of people all over the region. And this has been clarified by the last four or five years. We've seen very clearly a, a shift in how the Arab, uh, the Palestinians, the Arab region, and slowly, slowly people around the world look at Israel. It's now seen more and more uh, frequently as a settler colonial uh, apartheid state. This is very important to understand. And this is what links public opinion to the Arab. Most Arab people were colonized by the British, the French, uh, occasionally other people. And they still feel colonized by the West and by their uh, own political elites and in some cases. So supporting Palestine is seen as the most available, maybe not effective, but the most available means by ordinary Arabs anywhere can be part of an anti-colonial struggle that goes back a hundred years. Because what the Israelis are doing in Gaza is what they've done all along since the 1920s and 30s, which is try to push the Palestinians out of Palestine, <laughs> take the land, settle it with uh, Jewish immigrants or then Israelis, and make it a Zionist state. And this is unbelievable that it's still going on. And the West widely supports what Israel uh, is doing. And the only thing that an ordinary person can do is protest this. And you see it very clearly, the last point I'll make is, in these incredible statements, everybody in the world, including the local grocer and taxi driver, is, is signing a petition, a name, putting their name to a statement. Professional groups, political groups, universities, there's thousands and thousands of declarations of people all over the world criticizing Israel and the West and supporting Palestinian rights and essentially asking for equal rights between Israelis and Palestinians, not to destroy Israel, but to have equal rights. And so th this is a very profound uh, new development, which wasn't uh, there before. It's partly explained by social media. So we need to understand the deeper drivers and the new surface manifestations of what people uh, really feel, but also recognize that they have no capacity to change Arab politics. Um, and they, they're searching for at least to be able to keep expressing their views. 
Let me bring in Hafsa on some of those comments you've heard there from Matt Rami. Rami said, it, in his view, it was a mistake to cancel the summit with Biden. One of the others that was going to attend that summit uh, was President Sisi. You are, amongst other things, an expert on Egypt. How do you see the Egyptian response? I mean, we had uh, Secretary of State Blinken given a lecture uh, by President Sisi about the plight of the Palestinians. Um, he, he said it, what had happened was a result of accumulated fury and hatred over four decades. Uh, What's your view on how President Sisi is being influenced by the Egyptian street? Thank you. So uh, a couple of points. I actually disagree with Romy on the question of the summit, uh, particularly with hindsight when we now know and heard what President Biden said in uh, in Israel when he met with uh, with Prime Minister Netanyahu. I think that it would it, it had become with or without the hospital, uh, in, you know, the hospital bombing, um, which of course made it completely untenable. Uh, very clearly, after six days of shuttle diplomacy from Secretary of State Blinken, uh, we haven't had any real progress on shifting the American position. And I think that actually it would have put even more pressure domestically on the countries of particularly Jordan. In Egypt, let alone Palestinian Authority uh, leader Mahmoud Abbas, who is very embattled at home in the West Bank, uh, there would have been incredible pressure on them domestically. Let alone the broader cause on Palestinian uh, rights and the Palestinian uh, cause itself. So I, I disagree with that point. Uh, to your question on Egypt specifically, I think there's some yeah, a couple of things to unpack that I think are very important here. One, uh, President Sisi, uh, in this regard, on this question, not just on border security with the Rafah border and the Gaza Strip, but also on the wider um question of Egypt's decades-long policy uh, on this issue is very much a military uh, position. This is not President Sisi developing policy unilaterally or on his own. He is buoyed, certainly, by wide public support for the positions that have been put forward. Egypt has grown uh, more and more supportive of the president's statements, at least in this window, this issue, uh, as the West continues to portray this narrative that Egypt is blocking the opening of the Rafah border, that Egypt is preventing aid from getting in because it has some issue on, you know, uh, depopulation and so on and so forth, mass displacement. And the Egyptians have been able to enjoy not just uh, domestic support at home, the Egyptian regime, I should say, but also wider regional support. They've been supported in public statements by King Abdullah in Jordan, by uh, the Emir in Qatar, by the Saudi leadership, by the Turkish leadership, uh, that there will be a collective uh, stand against this question of mass displacement, which we should add the Israelis have regularly said they uh, want to see instead of aid flowing into to Gaza. At the same time, uh, the president is looking to divert attention at home. Um, and even though we had contained protests. Not only have we seen protests reach Tahrir today, we've seen the same chance, similar chance, for, um, bread, freedom, social justice on the streets of Cairo that we arguably haven't heard in 13, 12, 13 years, which is a real remarkable shift. And both of these re regimes, both of these leaderships in, in Cairo and in Amman are having to battle with the that they are relative, that they are fragile, 
They're quite unpopular. The economic situations at home are massive. And no matter how much they try and sustain and contain these protests, there is going to be some fallout and spillover that directly targets them. At the moment, on the Palestinian issue, on the question of the Rafah border, President Sisi is well supported at home, well supported within his military apparatus, well supported with his intelligence apparatus. And I think it should, it should it's worth pointing out that across the board, there is a level of both surprise and growing anger at the United States in particular, but the broader Western response, especially as this bombardment has increased, this inability to get any movement on aid. We've had five, four to five separate statements from Secretary of State Blinken to spokesman at the White House to President Biden on the question of the Rafah boarding and humanitarian aid. And it's it's quite spectacular that till now, We've had no security guarantees that convince the Egyptians that the aid, staffing situation and citizens on both sides are safe and secure if the border were to be opened. Tamara, if I could ask you now, um, the point that uh, Hafsa made there about fragile governments, do you think there's a possibility some of the leader these leaders are going to start getting worried that some of these protests could endanger them, that other concerns will, 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 will be swept up in this? I don't know, honestly. The answer is I don't know. And and I just I just want to take the, the last kind of couple minutes I have, because I know my connection hasn't been stable, to actually pick up on Hafsa's point about uh, that Egypt does not feel um, that its concerns have been... Uh, um, you know, uh, uh, dealt with or, or listened to in terms of that if they open the border, uh, Palestinians will be safe. Uh, one of the steps towards committing genocide is the forced removal of people. We have to be talking about this situation as an impending, if not an actual genocide. This is why Arabs on the street, people around the world, young American Jews who are blocking Capitol Hill's entrances, uh, 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 people all around the world, across the Islamic and Arab world and the global south and in London and in Madrid and elsewhere and in Paris, where they've banned protesting uh, for Palestine, are standing up because we are seeing a crime against humanity, the worst crime against humanity unfolding in front of our very eyes, where leaders okay. around the world... Let me, like let me quickly at the end bring in Rami, because we have... Are not standing up, I'm sorry, are not, are not standing up, and so the people have to stand up, and the Arabs understand this, we understand Rami, this. Rami, very quickly, a last question to you. This will have to be a teaser for a future programme, because there's a whole programme to discuss on this, but public opinion in Lebanon... That's a complicated one, isn't it? Because, you know, you've had the Beirut bombast, you've had economic crisis, one of the worst crises anywhere in the world's faced in recent years. There are a lot of people there who are very worried about the war spreading. Yeah, I lived in Lebanon for like 25 years and um, it's a very peculiar place. Uh, they uh, have suffered more than any other Arab country, I think, from the Arab-Israeli conflict. Um, but also they have developed the only force that has ever deterred the Israelis and forced them into a, a, a truce along the Israeli-Lebanese uh, border, which is uh, Hezbollah. But Lebanon is a, a patchwork of uh, sectarian groups. It's not a very clearly integrated, uh, strong country. And of course, it's economically shattered. Uh, so it's not a, a normal country that you can analyze like Jordan or Egypt or Morocco or uh, or others, but it remains an important uh, country because of the presence of Hezbollah and Hezbollah's links with 
uh, Hamas and other uh, uh, groups uh, like that. So we need to keep our eye on it. I want to make one last statement. Palestine cause is one of four causes that generates massive, spontaneous, and recurring demonstrations all over the world. Climate change, Black Lives Matter, you know, racial justice, anti-colonialism, Me Too, women's rights, and Palestine. Those are the four causes that are now global causes. And we see it now this week, as we just heard. So we, people have to understand what this means, not just for Arabs, but for the uh, global South. And this really must be seen in a colonial, anti-colonial uh, context, because that's what we're witnessing. Well, th thank you very much indeed. We must look at Lebanon again on another program. But thank you very much to our panel. Thanks to all our guests, Hafsa Halawa, uh, Tamara Ben-Halim and Rami Khoury. A really interesting conversation. If you want to see it again, the program's always available online. To find it, go to our website, aljazeera.com. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Alexandra Byers, Michael Harwood and Gemma Harries. Studio sound was by Yara Atala. The programme was edited by Vinesh Filiat, Lynn Nguyen, Vanessa Keneally and Joda Fries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Saturday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, as Israel continues its bombardment of Gaza, critics of the country find themselves punished for speaking up. That's The Take on Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.